1: funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast.
2: Listener
3: supported WNYC Studios. A quick note before we start this episode. Contains graphic language and uh, descriptions of sexual situations may not be suitable for all listeners. Uh, wait, you're listening? Okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. All
4: right. <clears throat> you're listening, listening. to Radio Lab.
1: Radio Lab from <laughs> WNYC. <laughs> See?
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm Jad Abumrad. This is Radio Lab, and this is the third and final part of our series in the know about sex and consent. We started a couple weeks ago with some excerpts from a podcast called The Heart, uh, produced by Caitlin Prest. Uh, and then last week had a long, uh, at times difficult conversation with education consultant Hannah Stotland. Heard a bit from uh, some college age men in that episode. Uh, today,
5: yes. Can I take
6: off my shoes? Yes. Okay. If you anyone wants get to take off their shoes, get comfortable.
0: We're going to start with some college age women.
6: If you need to stretch, you can like be like, "Hey, it's been too long. Like, we can do yoga." No.
0: Because <laughs> what we ended up doing uh, sort of midway through the process was gathering together a whole bunch of different groups of men and women, college age men and women, in three different cities, and just asking them general questions about how they're thinking about this stuff.
6: Are you excited? No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I ended up interviewing the men, so I'll turn this part over to uh, Becca Bressler and Shiba Oliawi, who were with
4: the women. Okay, so I'm just going like, to dive right in. Yeah, so uh, the average group that we talked to was maybe a dozen women. Uh, we tried to make it as diverse as possible. You saw, you saw it? You saw it coming? Why did you see How did you see it coming? In the... The first thing that really struck us, I think, uh, Shima, tell me if you agree, mm-hmm. is there was sort of a disconnect. Like, on the one hand, it seemed like affirmative consent for almost everyone we talked to seemed like second nature. Yeah, so uh, I actually teach, like, a workshop on consent for high schoolers. Some of them are even teaching classes on it. Yeah, P-H-E. I teach. Yeah, okay,
6: so workshop. you know, like, ca too. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> so, like, a clear and yeah. concise yes at every
0: step of sexual activity.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's, like, amazing that we're teaching kids that now. And, like, I do feel like it's my generation's problem to change it and change the
4: narrative about it. So a lot of them were really committed to actually changing the way consent looks, the way that these sexual experiences go and how they're navigated. But then when we would, you know, focus in on what they were actually experiencing
6: in their lives, what we saw was much different.
5: My friend and I ended up at a bar um and like the bartender was really cute and we were like flirting and he like I don't want to give any identifying information. But we were just, like, vibing, and I, like, hooked up with him. And then, like, immediately after I started hooking up with him, I was like, oh, this is not what I want. But, like, at that point, it's kind of, like, saying no would be, like, much more of an uncomfortable situation than just, like, going through with this and, like, understanding that I already regret it, kind of. I don't
6: know why I didn't leave, but eventually I was just like, okay, fine. Like, whatever.
5: Because they would just be like, please, like, come on, please, like, you know you're turned on a little bit, like, and I would be like, fine, whatever, like, let's, fine, let's fuck. I
0: think he was going down on me and, like, had asked me if I want to have sex and I said no. And eventually, like, I just, like, kind of wanted to be, like, over with, like, the entire interaction and I was
6: just uncomfortable. And then I was like, okay, like, let's have sex. Just because I thought that, like, that was the easier way to, like, make him happy, make, like, get done with it and then, like, it be over.
4: We just heard a lot of stories of people having sex that they didn't want to have, you know, where maybe affirmative consent was in effect. They did say yes, but it was either because the guy wore them down or they were way too concerned with how he was feeling.
5: Like it would make him feel really, really bad. I know that like if he would have known that I felt that way, he wouldn't have gone through with it and like i just didn't want to like hurt his feelings and be like and make him feel like he like took advantage of me or whatever when i knew that there would be no possible way that he would know that i was feeling that way
6: some women told us that they say yes sometimes when they don't want to because
3: they're scared part of the fear in saying a hard no is that that hard no can then be violated and that's like that's like a terrifying thought like mm. to say like a hard no like that's more traumatizing to me, like in my head almost, than having like a soft no just sort of like slid past. It's like wow. having
6: having fear of future trauma. Mm-hmm. Wait, say
3: it again. It's like having a fear of future trauma. Um,
6: I, I take that to mean but if your aim is to stay in control, yeah. and, and you feel like you might be out of control, then the best way to still
4: be in control is to convince yourself that you are cool with what's going on. Wow. I walked away feeling like many of the young women felt frustrated both with their world, but also with themselves. Yeah,
5: afterwards, I would feel, like, very disappointed in myself because I would feel like I would compromise my own needs for other people.
4: That they would walk away from a situation, and they would have regretted how it went. They maybe didn't actually want to do it, but didn't stick up for themselves. And then then you fight, like, a battle with yourself because it's like, wait a minute, like, I'm, like, strong. Like, I know I can, like just stop it or like why but it's so hard like in that moment to find like I don't know like the the words just to say it you know because then it, it sometimes you're just like yeah it is just easier just to be like let it like just like let him finish that's it
6: like it was clear for most of these women that in the moment of these encounters there was some conversation that needed to happen that was not
4: happening but then there actually was this one young woman that we spoke to. Some people, I think a lot of people talk about consent as if it's like awkward and weird. And like, like she just like said, con- consent has really become popularized and is really well advocated for by the BDSM community. BDSM is an abbreviation. So it it abbreviates bondage, discipline or domination, sadism and masochism. Because you constantly have to make sure that somebody is okay and be like, is this rope too tight? She told us, I mean, the BDSM community has this figured out. And then she started talking about her own experience. So we were sort of like, hmm, uh, what does that mean that the BDSM community has figured that out?
5: Whoa. Hello? You got a buzz there?
0: Oh, yeah. It's like the B-52 bomber buzz. Oh, that Mm -hmm. sounds better all
5: right okay hi yay Yay. we did it we did it (laughs) we did it
0: don't you feel like we're i always feel like after these technical snafus there's like a bonding that happens do we (laughs) i feel bonded
5: to you guys well it's actually a statistically true thing that people suffering together feel bonded to one another
1: well there you go
0: who are you by the way what do you do (laughs)
5: My name is Julie Fennell. I am an associate professor of sociology at Gallaudet University, and I've been studying the BDSM community since about 2012.
3: We called up Julie
0: because she is one of the, I think it's safe to say, leading academics uh, when it comes to the BDSM community and all of its subcultures. She has written papers, she has done surveys,
5: and she has done it from the inside. A lot of kinksters like me pretty much feel like we were sort of born this way. And it's really common to talk to a lot of kinky people who will tell you the same thing. Like I was five and fantasizing about tying up people's genitalia and (laughs) (laughs) it's deep stuff. Right. I didn't know what genitals were.
0: Anyhow, one of the things that we heard from Julie and we subsequently heard this also from a lot of academics that we talked to after her is that the whole consent conversation in many ways grew out of BDSM.
4: A a lot of people will trace, like, the history of BDSM in the United States to the Leatherman community.
0: This is World War II era, by the way.
4: These gay men would hang out in in biker clubs, at bars. They would socialize. They were a really tight-knit brotherhood.
0: Over the decades, the brotherhood grew into this much bigger community. And then it really exploded in the 80s. But... There's a
4: problem. At the time, no one had ever really formally distinguished between BDSM, a practice between willing participants, and violence.
2: BDSM, I think, had to make the case to the vanilla community, to the non kink community, that they were not insane, that people were not getting off on hurting people, that it was about roles and role-playing and power.
0: This is Joe uh, Fischel. He's an associate professor of women's gender and sexuality studies at Yale.
2: Consent was a slogan to convince Non kink people that what they were doing was not violent or a crime.
0: The full slogan they came up with, and this is in the '80s, was "safe, sane, and consensual,"
4: and it really stuck. To this day, you can find it on T-shirts. You at any of at any BDSM community event or play party
5: uh, parties that are organized at uh, formal spaces. They're called dungeons, right?
0: So getting back to Julie, we asked her, uh, okay, if it is true, as that one woman said, that the BDSM community, if it is true that they have figured something out about how to do it better, well, what is it? And uh, she told us a couple things. First... Drinking,
5: To my way of thinking, that's incredibly risky.
0: Very frowned upon in the BDSM world.
5: (laughs) In the BDSM scene, in my mind, that's what what we'd call edge play, which is like kind of the things that people do where you're like, ah, it seems like a bad idea. Negotiating sex when both people are really, really drunk with somebody that you've never met before qualifies as really, really risky.
0: And speaking of that negotiation, another thing that was an interesting contrast between the, quote, vanilla world and BDSM is that, when two people are negotiating, they're trying to figure out if they're going to get down. Uh, in BDSM, that conversation is formalized and it's often
5: public. Generally speaking, most of what's happening is, is out in the open.
0: These days you have people called consent monitors that sometimes roam around these parties.
5: It's also not uncommon to be standing there negotiating with someone where your friend or their friend is right next to them.
0: The idea is that that kind of social monitoring makes things safer. Anyhow, I asked her to zoom in on a specific consent conversation. How does it usually go?
5: Uh, people with different experiences levels are better and worse at this, typically. Like, let's say I was going to play with you, right? Like, you're telling me you've never done anything like this before, right? Yeah, zero. Zero. So uh, I, I like to knife top, which is a way of describing the fact that I like to do things with knives onto people
0: actual cutting of people or or Uh, like threatening of or no
5: no this is just dragging knives along people and sort of threatening with them like playing with the knives and in truth the thing that i do to make it more interesting is i like to cut people's clothes off of them okay i teach a whole class on how to cut people's clothes off of them with knives
0: are they are they like serrated
5: (laughs) uh they can be so some of them have rough edges and some of them don't and that's actually one of the questions that i would ask you so um I would ask you if you you maybe would be more interested in sort of a poking type sensation or more of a scraping type sensation based on just hearing that.
0: All right, I'm gonna go with dragging.
5: I would select my knives accordingly at that point because I have separate knives for these purposes. Okay. Um, and then I would, if I was gonna cut your clothes off, for example, I would ask you. I would I would let you know that there's that I, I'm I'm pretty good at what I do, but there's no way that I can guarantee that. Uh, I won't cut something that you don't want me to. So if possible, it'd be great if you could take off the thing that you wouldn't want me to cut, right? Like a necklace or your socks or whatever.
6: Okay.
5: And I also, like, warn people going into them, like, I'm pretty experienced with this, but I definitely have accidentally cut people before. So, um, you know, I I just need to let you know that this is not a 100% guarantee. If if that's something that you absolutely cannot tolerate, then... uh, then we probably can't go forward with this. Or if you say, well, I mean, I'm fine with it as long as it isn't on my arms because I don't want to show up for work, then I say, great. Like, well, I'll just restrict what I do to not your arms.
0: She says sometimes uh, she'll even get a pen and make a tiny little dot on all of the places the person says are off limits just so she can be super duper sure she's respecting their wishes.
5: There are actual classes on it. Hello, everyone. Uh, most well-organized BDSM scenes in the country.
1: You guys are allowed to talk here, believe me. I know we have mics around. We have and
5: weekly or at least day. monthly classes.
1: And uh, we actually went to one. How many people here oh have God. taken any of my events before? Raise of hands. There we go.
0: Everyone else is new. It was in Manhattan, a small studio space. About 15 people were there, and uh, the instructor, a guy named Dominus Eros, was sort of at the front of the room
1: in a leather kilt. With these two leather straps across his chest. Now, is everyone here familiar with consent? Please? (laughs) All right, good. Does anyone know the difference between consent and enthusiastic consent?
0: One guy in the back raised his hand.
1: That's sort of a new thing that's sort of coming up in a lot of clubs. If there's a moment of hesitation in that person's brain, you should automatically be picking that up and be like, do you actually want to do this thing with me? And generally within the first 10 seconds, someone can tell if they want to have sex with you. You're not going to convince someone otherwise. You're not going to be like, man, I'm going to wear them down. The wearing down technique it pisses me off. At a party, nobody owes you anything. Everyone on board so far?
0: A lot of nods. Good. So and then uh, he sort of demonstrated how all of this works in action. Kids. First. Look at the table. He took everyone over okay. to this table, showed them the toys, different to kinds of whips, yet. floggers, a little stick Bella. with a feather on the end. Let me grab what is going to be my little tool to play around with. He grabbed one of the floggers. <laughs> and then all he and the a woman name name named Bella who is in black lingerie. They uh, walk over to this giant cross-looking thing in the corner of the room. She then leads against it.
1: Good. So, I currently have Bella with her arms spread on the St. Andrew's cross. Her legs are gonna be a little bit wider. Bella is not that tall. Now, we've already had our talk. Hey, what's cool? I just met you. Am I allowed to put my hand on your ass, your shoulders, your skin? Do you want to keep your clothes as is, or do you want to sort of slowly undress as we play? Get all your things because you don't know where they're at. They could totally just want to be like this. Bella has told me she does not want to take any more clothes off. Correct, Bella? Bella also doesn't like a huge amount of pain. So then we go with that. You feeling all right? Looks like your shoulder's a little funky. You want to warm them up. You don't go to the gym and do your heaviest set right away. Correct? You're going to sort of warm up the muscles. I do light touching, light hitting.
0: Start slowly whipping her shoulders.
1: When I'm sort of just observing, waiting for their body to sort of tell me some notes. When I do impact, their body's going to tell me something. If I go a little heavy, there's a little bit of a turtling in, so the hips crawl in. If the ass comes right back out right away, that's saying, Daddy hit me again, right? If the stays in, I went a little hard. I can come in and stay, and again, your talking can be sexy. Is that all too much for you, baby? Yes, Does Daddy, Daddy need to go lighter? Yes, please, Daddy keep it sexy. You don't have to say, hey, was that too hard? You can totally keep it in very sexy and see how it goes. Staying engaged is very important. If you're in a space that's loud, you can't fucking hear anything. So I can't hear if she's moaning or if she's like, ow, you know, so I want to be able to get my ears in close, say how they do. Then I create the sort of cadence, play around a little bit more. And from there, I'm combining between using impact play and sense play. We'll go a little more in depth once you guys start playing around a little bit. And I'll go around the room because I want to get to the workshop aspect.
0: Dominus spent the next hour sort of moving around the room, uh, helping people as they paired off with their whips and their floggers, learn how to better read each other. And for a moment, it, it felt like, oh, we should all be doing this. I mean, maybe not using whips and having sex in public, unless that's your thing, but finding ways to help each other be explicit and communicative and to have a code for what words mean. When we talk to college-aged men and women, a lot of them were like, we need a script. We need something written down. Because uh, one of the things that's been found in surveys uh, is that there's very little agreed-upon language. For example, a phrase like, slow down. When surveyed, many college-aged women will tell you that means stop. Many men will say, no, it just means goes slower. Well, in the BDSM world, They seem to have sorted some of this out.
5: So, like, I was at a play party and it said on the thing, house rules say yellow means uh, you should check in or pause. Red means stop. And if somebody says safe word, that means that uh, you're calling for help from one of the people that's around.
0: It all seemed so clear and sensible and dare I say uncomplicated? But Julie was like, uh, yeah, no.
5: Not really.
0: When we come back, Julie reigns on the parade that we were throwing her.
5: This is Callie calling from San Francisco. Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan.
4: Radio Lab is supported by TurboTax.
5: TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side-hustled your way to concert tickets, or sold Hollywood memorabilia, switch to TurboTax
4: and make your moves count. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.
1: Hi, I'm Adam Grant, host of the podcast Rethinking a show where I talk to some of today's greatest thinkers about the
5: unconventional ways they see the world. On Rethinking, you'll get surprising insights from scientists, leaders, artists, and more. People like Reese Witherspoon, Malcolm Gladwell, and Yo-Yo Ma. Hear lessons to help you find success at work, build better relationships,
1: and more. Find Rethinking wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey, I'm Jad. We're back. Third installment of In the Know, and... uh... Julie was about to tell us, Julie Fennell, that uh, even in the BDSM world, with its very clear uh, rules and safe words like red and yellow, things go wrong.
5: The actual real problem with that yellow-red situation is that in public, people almost never end up using red. Like, there's one of the huge problems that the BDSM subculture basically has is that there's massive, (laughs) massive social repercussions to calling red in a public place, basically.
0: And as we talked about this more, uh, it started to sound a lot like what we heard from the college-aged women, uh, that saying no, even you know when it's buttressed by all of these rules and norms, can still be really hard. There's a cost.
5: One of the worst situations that I ever personally found myself in um, was I was tied up and suspended. And uh, so all of my feet are off the ground, and I'm having a great time. I had negotiated ahead of time that there was to be nothing genital happening. I was very clear about that. I was like, nope, this is, not, this is not a thing.
0: Then she says the person who she was playing with, who tied her up, decided to try some genital stuff.
5: And I was really caught in that moment because we're in a very public place. Uh, I could yell red, but in that place, yelling red means the whole scene has to stop. And I didn't want the scene to stop. I liked being tied up. And I'm also cognizant of the fact that this guy is my friend. I really like him. And I don't want him to get in a ton of trouble. But if I yell red really loudly in this public place, there's a pretty decent chance he's going to get banned from the event. There's a pretty decent chance he's going to get banned from a lot of events. What did you do? I kicked him in the face, and he stopped.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you're tied up. That, that's very—the whole point is you're in a compromised situation. I
5: am in a compromised situation, but it turns out it puts my feet a lot closer to his face.
0: Um. <laughs> Even though she uh, navigated that one fine in the end, she says generally speaking, the BDSM community is, in terms of the consent negotiation, not a utopia. In fact, what she experienced in that moment was for a long time— not uncommon.
5: So I should explain that the scene actually got its own Me Too movement about three months before the Me Too movement hit. Like, I didn't have that hashtag, but exactly the same thing happened, where a bunch of high-status people got outed as consent violators in the scene.
0: These are a bunch of
3: dudes, or...?
5: Yeah, they're all men. There's definitely a lot of consent violations that happen with women, but people don't pay attention to it, and I have a whole other rant about that. But people who got a lot of attention on them were men, and pretty much everyone that they had hurt was women.
0: And that's and... part of the reason that Julie is... Uh... In the end, a little suspicious of all of the rules that we were just enamored of. Or I should say she's a little suspicious of placing too much faith in those rules. It's
5: it's not it's not foolproof, right? Like so I I mean I definitely know people who they don't want to tell you anymore that they're not having fun. So there's a real sense of like I don't want to disappoint this other person. So one of the things that I also will ask in these types of negotiate my version of negotiation is like, do you feel reasonably certain that you will be able to tell me if you don't like what's happening?
0: The more I thought about that question, like after we'd done the interview, the more I was sort of noodling on that, it occurred to me like, what, that's a key question. Can you say no when you need to? Some of us just are people pleasers. I am one of those people. It hurts to say no if you know it's going to bum someone out. Others have no problem with that. So she asks, which kind of person are you right now? It is situational. Who are you at this moment? If they say, yeah, right now, I'm not good with the no, then she goes one direction. If they say, no, no, I can tell you.
5: Then I'm like, all right, can we both agree that we are adults
0: That we don't have to get into all the stuff about what we don't want to have happen.
5: And that we will take responsibility for actually communicating how we're feeling in the situation. And if we fail to communicate that, that we will also take responsibility for that. So are you okay with kind of whatever? And you're going to tell me if you're not? And the other person goes, yes, that's how I want that to go. At that point, our conversation changes from what am I not allowed to do to what do you find hot?
0: One of the things that we kept running into again and again was um, this sentiment that uh, was maybe best captured by a guy that Becca and Shima spoke to.
2: I'm Michael Lissack. I'm the director of Empowering Victims, and I'm one of the people who came up with the concept for the We Consent app.
0: That app was actually the one uh, that a guy last episode uh, sort of jokingly referred to.
5: Hello, would you... Be, like, can I record you on my cell phone of you saying you're down to make out right now?
0: Turns out it's actually a real app that this guy made.
5: There's no
2: really good... The problem is that we've got a meme, and the meme is already well-established, and the mm. meme is consent. Unfortunately, that meme frames the entire question the wrong way. Consent means that you're giving someone permission to do something to you. We don't do sex to someone else. We have sex with someone
4: else. Are you saying that that's the, like, dictionary definition of consent? It's interesting because I'm curious if this is just, like, a semantic The dictionary issue.
2: definition of consent is giving someone permission to do something to you or on your behalf.
6: Yeah, I just looked it up, and you're so <laughs> right. Compliance and or approval of what is done or proposed by another. That's
2: the wrong word.
0: And uh, Joe Fischel, the academic that we heard from earlier.
2: It, it doesn't capture What I think is probably the biggest problem for young people and for sex on college campuses, which is all of the sex that's consensual but unhappy and unpleasant and unwanted, and people typically, women, endure. The core issue may not be non-consent, and it may not be sexist commission. It might be the fact that men are leveraging their positions of power to extract sex from women that don't want to be there. And I I think it's hard to target that problem if you call it non-consent.
5: it was a second date I went home with him and I wasn't really sure if I wanted to sleep with him and I was kind of going through the motions um, and at one point he pulled away because you could tell that I was like not entirely there and he's like do you want to have sex um, and, I, and I kind of said like uh like I didn't even say yes or no and he just stopped entirely and we just like and that was it and I remember being like like relieved first and like really surprised um, because he read my body, like second date, like read my body language, respected me and like didn't push.
1: I was at a bar a couple of weeks ago and um, I was with this girl and you know, she was, we were both, you know, we we're both pretty drunk and she was like, you know, hey, you wanna go back to my place? And I was like, yeah, I can't do that. Like I'm drunk, you're drunk. Like she was like, you're right and just kind of like, move on. We continued to like dance, It was fine. it was, we had a fine night. And then like, I woke up the next morning and she had texted me and was like, hey, thank you so much for like, not taking advantage of me. Like, that means a lot. I was like, that was really easy.
4: I've been lucky in the regard that like, if I'm uncomfortable having sex with like my partner, like, like right when I'm about to be like, I can't, like, I don't want to do this right now. He always catches like my eye and is like, like he'll stop immediately and and like, you know, I've had like my own sex trauma stuff and he like, I'm gonna cry, (laughs) but like he will stop. It's so nice to have a partner that can like read your body language and be like, this doesn't feel like, feel right. Are you okay?
3: This episode was reported by Becca Bressler and Shima Oliawi and produced by Bethel Hopte. Very special thanks to Caitlin Prest and the team she worked with at the heart to produce that series that inspired this whole thing for us. To all the men and women who shared their stories with us, thanks to Ximena Prieto, Roy Volchek, Samantha Shahi, Lainey Goodwill, Don Black, Margot Weiss, Dominus Eros, and Pagan's Paradise. I'm Jad Abumrod. Thanks for listening.
2: To play The Message, press 2. Start of message.
5: Hi, this is Julie Fennell. Radio Lab was created by Jad Abumrad and is produced by Soren Wheeler. Dylan Keith is our director of sound design. Maria Matasar Padilla is our managing director. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Becca Bressler, Rachel Kusick, David Gebel, Bethel Hopte, Tracy Hunt, Matt Kilty, Robert Krollrich, Annie McEwen, Latif Nasser, Melissa O'Donnell, Arian Wack, Pat Walters and Molly Webster. With help from Shima Oliayi, Katz Laszlo, and Mo Acebiomo. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris.
2: End of message.
3: Radio Lab is supported by the
1: John Templeton Foundation, funding research and catalyzing conversations that inspire people with awe and wonder. Learn about the researchers making the latest discoveries in the science of well-being, complexity, forgiveness, and free will at templeton.org slash podcast.